So what I tried to figure out in my business is I wrote down a list. Okay, the successful agents that I look up to, what are some of the standard trends and activities that each of them does to be successful, right? Welcome to Building Bigfoot, the podcast to grow your business profitably. I'm super excited today. We're introducing Jennifer Solter. So I've known Jennifer now for, oh, I want to say it's got to be close to like, it's, it's more than four years. Yeah. And so. yeah, so, so quite a long time. And uh, Jennifer is one of those people who has, she does what she says she's going to do. She does it really well. She serves her clients uh, in with her full heart. Like you can see it. And uh, we've, I've had the, the pleasure of uh, speaking to you multiple times over the year, but then you've become really big involved in our community. And, uh, and, and I'd say you've kind of become an icon in real estate. And so it's uh, with a pleasure that I get to introduce Jennifer Salter to you. And the question that uh, I think is really fun to start with is, okay, Jen, share a little bit about your story. Like, where did you how did you start out? Did you always know you're going to be a real estate agent? Is that something that you knew you were going to get into from the early days or, um, or was it something else? I'm so glad that you invited me. Actually, I'm really stoked too. So, <laughs> um, so no, actually it starts back with my mom. So my mom was a nurse for many years and always instilled like, you know, the importance of earning a steady paycheck, like, having that salary position, getting the benefits. And so for me, I just knew that I wanted to teach. And obviously, when you're young, you don't really think so much about finances and what that's going to lead to you like further on in life. Um, and I loved teaching. So I went into elementary education since the time I was 21 and taught for many, many years. And what happened was my son, I think at the time was getting on in elementary school and I got married and my husband, Brad, already had two children that were at that point, middle school, high school age. And, you know, I started to think while I was teaching, you know, number one, I don't know how any teacher could independently live, you know, honestly, like if I wasn't married to my husband, like, I don't know how anybody would do it. You, you would have to share an apartment or something. Um, and I started to think about the kids and about how I spent so much time teaching everyone else's kids the importance of furthering your education. Now, that doesn't mean university. It could be developing a trade, starting a business. It, it didn't matter to me. But I thought some of my children did want to go to college. That was their track. And I didn't even know how I would afford to send them to college because of the money that I was earning from teaching. And um, so it was a very hard decision because I love teaching, but I knew that I wanted to go into business. My mother about had a heart attack. I'm not lying. She was so against it because that was never her position. She worked hard. She worked for a company. She got paid regularly. <laughs> and so when I said, I want to go and take real estate classes, you know, I love homes. I think it's exciting. And I like the idea of working with clients because to me, it would be an educational journey. I had just sold my house and had an experience. And I thought, you know, if only I had been educated more on the process, it would have been smoother. And so that's what kind of drew me to real estate, um, took the classes, fell in love with it and surprised everybody in the family. And thank God I have a supportive husband because 
I literally, at the end of a school year, we had like two months left. I finally finished my real estate courses that I was attending at night. And I told them I was going to end the school year and never go back to teaching. And everyone's jaw dropped. They were like, you're not going to make any money. And, you know, how do you just stop it before you, you know, basically ease your way into real estate after you have some success? And in my head, I just knew that's not the way it was going to work. I have an aunt who is a jeweler and gemologist and ran her own business for years. So I spoke a lot to her and um, I liked her mindset. And the thought process was I'm not making much money now. And God forbid, really, real estate wasn't doing it for me. I could always grab a job on the side, a Walmart or whatever, and make probably the same I was making teaching. So for me... I wasn't scared of that. And I thought if I could learn as much as I needed to learn, I would be fine. So I went into real estate. I used that summer to kind of learn the ropes, get assigned to a mentor. That mentor got sick and um, needed to go to the hospital. And he had a client looking to buy. He said, Jen, you can take it, um, you know, and I'll help you where I can from his hospital bed. (laughs) So I took it. I sold my first house within 30 days of being licensed. And I was addicted. I loved the process. I loved helping people. And I don't think I could ever go back to an office job, honestly. I don't think I could ever do it. I I like being an entrepreneur. So that's how I got into the business. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for, you know, obviously real estate agents know just how entrepreneurial real estate is. Yes. And uh, for those who who don't know, why, why don't you share a little bit about all the many hats that have to be worn and involved in in running a real estate business. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I've kind of learned as I as I went. Number one is knowledge. You know, um, you get out of class, and just like anything else, real estate is not what you learn in class. So, it's very very important, no matter what firm you're with, that there is a support and constant stream of education. Whether it's how to use the systems, how to run numbers how to um, call clients, like what to say, what to do, how you're going to be seen in your sphere and in your community. Um, And so for me, number one, that education component is key. So you need to be a learner and you are not going to get where you need to be by being stagnant and just kind of going as you go. You have to make it an effort every single day for some sort of learning activity, like folks watching this podcast or attending the mastermind or you know, attending a continuing education class. Um, The second thing I would say, honestly, is a lot of psychology. And I say that because um, I've learned this over the years of being in real estate, but your clients selling or buying are already nervous. You, You see the worst of your clients at times because it's the most traumatic kind of event they go through. I think I read somewhere, um, they said that the top stressors for people in general is like divorce, the the loss of a loved one, buying and selling a home because you are uprooting everything. So you have to accept that you're going to see the good side. You, You might catch some attitude because people are stressed. So if you yourself learn how to handle and how to wear that hat where you have some compassion, that you're instructing with education, that you're there for when they're stressed or not stressed, it's very important. And I realized that when I was a newer agent, sometimes I'd get worked up. Something's not going right, I'd get worked up. 
and my tone of voice even might have exacerbated that for my clients. So now I'll give you an example. Um, my mom, like I said, my mom just sold her house because she's living with us. That's why we have a mess because we're renovating and making it so we can all fit. But something very interesting happened. So actually one of the girls from my team brought the buyer for my mom's house and she's at the inspection, right? And my mom's house is like brand new inside. Everything's been renovated and done. Um, she has the inspection and I'm on FaceTime with her because she wanted to show me something while she was at the inspection. I am not lying to you. The house was raining. The guy turned on the tub in the shower upstairs to run all the water. I don't know what happened, but from every vent on downstairs, it was raining. Oh, no. He calls me freaking out. And now in my head, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. But I had a choice. At that moment, I could make the situation calm or I could freak out. We could lose the sale and it could be this big ordeal. So we're on FaceTime. And I was like, oh, no, that stinks. You know, once they turn off the water, don't worry about it. We'll get it taken care of. It is what it is. And she's freaking out. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, you know, it's going to be taken care of. We'll, we'll take care of it immediately. So they turned off the water. And then I freaked out once we were off the phone. <laughs> but in front <laughs> of her, I was calm, collected. This is a normal event. This is something we can take care of. And it was. It was taken care of. Everything was drywalled. It was a simple kind of thing. They they didn't attach the tub when they put it in her house correctly. And she had never used the tub. She uses the shower. But anyway, oh. I think the psychology of knowing how to make a situation go from stress to you're in control. Anything can be fixed. Or if it's not fixed, you know, there's ways around it. It's not the end of the world. And that's what we have to advise our clients. So Besides wearing the educational, the learner hat, and also wearing the psychology hat, knowing how to handle situations or when people are rude, vendors or other agents, and deflating that situation, very, very important. Um, but I, I would honestly say those are the main two. I mean, everything else comes with learning and knowing um, you know, through study, but psychology is a big one that people don't pay enough attention to, I don't think. Yeah, no, that that um, makes so much sense. And you need that. Uh, it, it's a combination of empathy, uh, ability to to almost like a mastery of of how to handle that situation and, and, and navigate it emotionally. But then also yes. you need a bit of a thick skin because it's like you said, yeah. almost that that knowing that this is just a unusual occurrence for a person's life and they're probably not going to be behaving at their very best like they would be if they were, you know, uh, somewhere on holiday, having a great time. This is going to be a little bit like, you know, th there's memories associated, there's risk involved, there's a big financial yeah. transaction, uncertainty, yeah. when will it close? Will it close? Why is there another inspection? Um, all these, these little things that, uh, that, that happen. And that, that is, I, I feel like if you can master that, you can, you can navigate almost anything. You know, yeah, no, it's, it's, I agree. I agree. It's very fun. It's, yeah. And the funny thing is, you were sharing about your, your mom, uh, freaking out a little bit when you were saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a, uh, an entrepreneurial path. My mom was the exact same way. She, so funny. She's, she's, 
was big on like, make sure you get a degree, make sure you have something like a career that you can fall back on, make sure that you have. Um, and I think part of it was because my grandfather, her dad, he was an accountant, but um, he he didn't have, there was some, some, um, some part of his education that he was missing. And so there was a sense of make sure you solve that problem first. And because you don't want to be in a situation where you, uh, you know, you, you don't have that security to fall back on. And yeah, so how do you, uh, when you look at business and security, how do you um, handle those two things? Well, for me personally, um, I picked a good company for me, a good firm. What I liked about it was, so I started to think, and I didn't know anything about business. Um, my aunt really did help me out a lot with just mindset, a lot of its mindset. But I thought, okay, so I can be good at what I do. I can speak. I want to grow connections and I'll sell houses. Like I know I will. But I also wanted to know that there was other opportunities that I could grow, earn money. And so with my company specifically, it seemed less riskier because there's other avenues other than just selling and helping buyers buy homes to earn money. And I like that. Um so with my company, I also have stock, which is good because I wanted to get invested into stock. And, you know, it's not always a guarantee, but it is nice to have that reserve funds and to be able to trade and play around with it. So I haven't done so much with the trading part, but just understanding that there's opportunity with investments, that direction is great. Um, I had an opportunity to grow a team. And as you know, from when we met four years ago, I'm a solo girl. There is no team set up. And we were able to make a team that allowed all the agents to be solo agents and not build my name. Because to me, I, I wouldn't do that for another team. So that helped. Um, that's a different avenue that brings in earnings and allows me to teach and use my coaching. And I love that. Um, and also there's opportunity because there's so many people that are interested in different firms. So when someone's interested in your firm and you get to you know, help them and sponsor them, their successes allows you to earn a little on the side as well. So for me, it was very well-rounded and my primary focus is still my residential sales, right? Um, but between the referrals and the stock and the ability to bring on agents interested in this, a similar model and help my team, these are all ways to kind of be more well-rounded in business and not just put all your eggs in one basket. And that was very important mindset. But, you know, um, I always think, I, I think I've done very well in the last few years that I've been in real estate. I've been licensed since the middle of 2018. But I got to be honest, like, you know, it's so funny to bring up quotes. I feel like such an old woman, but I always remember quotes from people and something that my mom used to always say, she's like, there's always going to be someone smarter, someone prettier, someone more athletic, someone thinner, someone this. And it's like the same thing in business. It seems like the more goals that I set and I meet, I'm still always feeling like a beginner because you start to seek after people who have done more, accomplished more, have branched off and become more diverse. And so for me, I always feel like I'm starting here, but it's good because I'm constantly setting the bar higher, but there's still so much to learn. Like, I don't know if you feel that way too, but 
you know, um, obviously you're in the business as well. And I think even with your podcast, right? I mean, it's just different ways to get your message out. And there's always something new to learn and to reach. But do you feel like that too, in your business that you're always just learning? (laughs) Yeah, the learning, the learning doesn't stop. I think that's the part that I find most fun is just that it is it is that that never ending journey of learning and then getting to actually take that knowledge and applying it. And and so you get to say, okay, well, this is or um seeing somebody the way they do something, but like, I really love that. I didn't even like know that was um that way was that occurring. And so I think I'm gonna implement it. Like a small example, like you're talking about that whole like like the the mindsets and 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 the like how that can really impact business. I remember listening to this interview one time on the radio, and the journalist is interviewing this person who's an expert on psychology and gratitude, and um, they have a PhD. This is their their field of expertise, and they're talking about um, uh, gratitude. And then the journalist said something along the lines of, "Well, isn't it good that at least our country doesn't have this problem?" And then they named a problem that they saw that another country had. And, uh, and the, the, um, the guy with the PhD said, oh, that's actually a terrible mindset. It's a trap. And the reason for that is because that means that your gratitude or this, the interviewer's gratitude is a hundred percent dependent on the outcome of something else. And so does that mean you're only happy when they're not doing well? Like, and and so that I could hear the journalists just stop and think about that for a long time because how often do we say that even we teach people that well it's like you know um, eat all your food because there's people in Africa who who don't have food on their plate you know be grateful for what we have because there's people who don't have but it's like well does that mean we should only be grateful because there's people who don't have it's like no the flip side of that is yeah I know and it's like I, I never thought of it that way and so it's like you catch these things and I think oh how do I implement that in my life. So that I eliminate um, any need to compare both positive or negative, you know, so not just the sense of like, oh, yeah, there's people out there who are going to be, as you said, like prettier, uh, more athletic, more sure. Um, But then, you know, irregardless of where everybody is, um, good or bad. You know, it's 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 the really about the journey of, of progression. And that's where I think the learning comes in, because. I, I always think I'm like, how do I improve my game just a little bit? Just you know, take it to that next that what's what's the challenge that I'm really excited about, um, and and kind of upping that, almost having mastery in in the daily the daily challenges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really great way to look at it, actually, um, because you do a lot of times you do say something like that, and it is based off someone else or something else not doing as well. And that's why you're grateful, but you're right. It shouldn't matter about that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really shouldn't. And so, um, so with, with you, uh, diversifying in your business makes a lot of sense. Now, um, is that something you were able to do from the beginning or is that something that you progressed towards doing? Progressed. I I knew that that would be something that would be my aim. But again, coming from not business, I, I knew nothing about business in general, just the concept of it. Um, I didn't know how to do all these things at once, but I knew that I at least wanted a company that would allow me to diversify. Um, and then what happens is you have to get, 
not, I don't want to say comfortable because you're never comfortable, right? People say, oh, well, I want to learn this and that before I start going and selling houses. No, no, no. You have to hop into it when you're uncomfortable. But then once you get a rhythm of whatever it is you're doing, now it's time to be uncomfortable again. And it's time to tackle the next thing. Like, I don't know if you can see my shirt. It's probably backwards, but it says running comps is my cardio. And then on the back. <laughs> I love that. It has my team. And so what I did was the door knocking is something that I've read a lot about. And, you know, the market has shifted, just like we talked about in my course. Um, and it is time to get back to basics, right? So there's several things that I have done that have been very uncomfortable. And I got to be honest, like when it comes to speaking and coaching and teaching, I'm in my comfort zone. Like I could speak to a thousand people and wouldn't break a sweat. I, two members of my team told me about, they were excited. They went to go door knock because they had like an open house going on. And I said, oh my gosh, you guys door knocked. And they said, yeah. And guess what? We got a listing. I'm like, no way. So they kept saying, Jennifer, come on, let's door knock. So I got these, these shirts made and we kind of go as a group, right? Not only for safety, but honestly, like going up to a door, it's, um, less intimidating for someone when they look out, they see everyone's kind of wearing the same thing and, you know, and, and we're just out. And so a lot of people come to their doors, but the, the purpose is I thought that I would be better at it. It annoys me so bad. I am like, I I'm a dud when it comes to door knocking. So I am now on my third week of door knocking and finally feeling a little better, but it, I was so nervous and it bothered me so much, but it was a good reminder, right? Just because you're good at talking and good at this, you're good in a group. But when it comes to one-on-one face-to-face with a stranger, I was like fumbling over my words. I was so nervous. But you know what? Trying that door knocking, it is now built into our schedule twice a week, Fridays and Saturdays with our, our farms. And we round robin. We've gotten such a good response. We've gotten potential listings from it. We've spoken to people in the community looking to buy. Um, But more than anything else, doing that simple activity, taking a few videos as we're walking and posting it on Nextdoor, all of that is free, but it was so out of my comfort zone. And now it's being built into part of the routine and I'm seeing the benefits. So um, diversifying yourself is so important. Doesn't matter what you do, you need to look at different aspects. And you know, I'm the Facebook ad queen. Like to me, that's how I started my business. I like Facebook ads. I like street text, and that's what I do. Um, however, when the market started to shift, I was at a loss. Okay, what do I do? I'm running ads. What do I do? And so, adding these other activities within the realm of real estate, I realized. Well, that's what a well-rounded agent does. Well-rounded agent does different things to go and make themselves bigger, better, more profitable, and just be overall more well-rounded. So, yeah. So you're you're diversifying not just with your investments, but with your your marketing activities. And yes, yes. And when you start something new, as you you're, you're saying, like like. Everybody can relate to that. You know, everybody right. can relate. It doesn't matter how long you've been in business. Imagine Warren Buffett, you know, he's like a lifetime. He's been on videos. He's done all these interviews. Yeah. Imagine him trying to start a YouTube channel today. Like, right. 
everybody's a beginner at something, right? Yes. And so yeah. if we know that we need to do these these um, activities, then there's a saying in in um, tech, which is do unscalable things, because the entire yeah. the entire world is is really focused around how do we scale, right? Like everything needs right. to scale. But do unscalable things, and the, the the mentality behind doing unscalable things is usually that's where the breakthrough is. Is if you do the unscalable thing, nobody else is doing it, and right. because you're no one else is doing it, you end up having a greater impact. So uh, I love that. I mean, and and so you, the other thing I I picked up right away is you've got that blocked into your calendar now, and it kind of reminds yes. me of um, I don't know if you're ever in a youth group or anything as a, as a kid, but we used to play this game called Bigger or Better. Do you ever play uh -huh. that game? No. And it was so fun. So we would leave. And uh, the idea was uh, every everybody would break into a group of like four kids or five kids. And you would go around a neighborhood. And each each kid like group got a different area of the neighborhood to go door knock on. And you would start <laughs> with something small, like a toothpick or a penny or whatever. And the idea is you had to go on the door and you would knock on the door and you say, can I trade you this for something bigger or better? So it has to be bigger or better. Right. And in like the space of an hour and a half, we'd all be out there, um, you know, knocking doors and we'd bring our treasures back. And it was so much fun. And you're like, as a, as a group, right? Like that's sort of what you're so describing it too. Thing, though? What's the biggest thing you got? Oh, we got so many big things. Um, we got couches, pool tables, uh, foosball no, tables. Right. Yes, uh -uh, yes. Like, um, yeah, so like it was usually a game we played like once a year. And then yeah. every time we did it, the um, I remember like our our uh, the setup where the like we had this, we called it the fridge, where it was like sort of like the, the main like um, place where the, the youth was because it used to actually be a, like a fridge, like a big fridge that they converted. And there was a back area that was like kind of the hangout zone. And every time we did it, the, like the, it just got cooler and cooler, the space. Because I think one person That's got like great. a traffic light one year. And so then we stuck that up and you had like the red. The, it was just like this neatest. But it was tons well, of fun, I guess, right? I guess my youth groups were lame because, because we never did that. But that sounds awesome. But you see, it's like the power of the group. Like when you're with the yes. group, it's, it is more fun. And um, it's less intimidating, not only for you, but I'm telling you, for the people opening the door. It's less intimidating. If there's one person standing at the door, it you're like, changes okay, well, everything. It does. It does. Yeah. And everyone's got yeah. a different personality. So you might have like one person that was sort of like shines in that one conversation. And because right. of it, it, it yeah, it changes the the dynamics. It it, it really yeah. yeah, that that is so fun. I, I think I've you're the first person I've ever spoken to that I've ever heard of door knocking in groups. I just think that's such a great idea. Well, and the shirts are important. Honestly, everybody laps the shirts. I have one that's being made right now. And it's like, um, it has a taco on it and says, let's talk about the market. I mean, <laughs> people open the door. They want to know like what's going on in, in the market. And it becomes more fun. And posting it to Nextdoor is very important. I don't know. Do you guys have Nextdoor in Canada? Uh, no, not really. Not No. Okay. Well, yeah. Maybe you have something similar, but basically it's like Facebook group for just the neighborhood. Like you have to verify where you live and then you basically have access to your neighborhood and a 10 mile radius. And you guys speak about the community, what's going on. And um, 
So being able to post our journeys, we don't post knocking on the door, but like while we're talking and walking down the street or whatever. And um, that way people kind of know, oh, they're coming in the neighborhood, but it's been really great. And why I said I'm such a dud is like I said, this is like my third week doing it. And I have not gotten any listings yet. I've had good conversations, but everyone on my team has either gotten a listing or a buyer. And so I'm like, it does work. I just have to get my groove, you know, but I'm having a lot of fun. It's good exercise. The weather's beautiful. And, you know, you're talking to people in the community, in your farm. So it just, you know, it takes about one to two hours. I mean, it's your exercise for the day because it is exercise. I mean, you're walking <laughs> and you're talking, but um, it's great. It, I'm so glad that they introduced me to it because even though we're part of the team and I'm the team lead, they teach me stuff every day. And Door knocking is not anything that I would have wanted to do on my own. I don't even want to do it in the group. But you know what? I'm glad I did it because now I'm really enjoying it. So I recommend everyone try that. Yeah, that that does sound like really fun. And obviously it's effective. And then the other thing you just pointed out, which is it's helpful when you're in a in a group, or at least you have a perspective of seeing what's happening outside, is that um so I was just listening to Alex Ramosi, and he shared this. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is, but um, I met his wife, Leah, like three years ago in Atlanta, and they they were not where they are today. And um, and I remember like she definitely left an impression on me. I'm like, this person's very hungry and and motivated. Um, but then Alex shared the story that uh, he was um, he, he basically was told he needed to put out flyers. And so he went out and he put out flyers and he did what he thought was like a really good effort on it. And then he, he got one call from somebody who was angry. <laughs> and, and so then he's like, oh, I guess, you know, uh, I guess that was it. Right. And they were angry about, cause he put the flyer on the car or something. And the, um, so he speaks to the guy who told him about it and the guy was very successful at it. And so the guy said, oh, okay, well tell me about your results. And he said, well, I got one person that's angry. He's like, well, how big was your sample size? He's like, my sample size. This was like the full effort. And uh, he's like, no, how big was your sample size? He's like, like 500. And he's like, oh, yeah, my sample size is 5,000. And then when we see that's working, we do 5,000 a day. And then that was sort of like his, oh, okay. It's not that I wasn't doing the right thing. It was that I wasn't doing enough of the right thing. And so sometimes he's like, the point of that is, is that, you know, you, you like his point is, is you need to, make sure that if you are doing the right thing, that you're doing it at, at a, enough of a um, amount to actually have an impact. But the other side of it, which I think is really important, is that he got the perspective of somebody who was successful at it. And I think that that part, if you can get a perspective and then you see like, oh, it's worth my time, then you keep doing it, you will get the impact. But sometimes it's easy to kind of like, especially as an entrepreneur, to isolate because we get so focused on the task at hand that like, we can pull ourselves away from the very thing that is is inspiring us to keep going, and uh, and that that's very important. Yeah, so I picked that up right away in what you're sharing too. So, so the the so you're doing door knocking, which is obviously working great, especially for your team, which is huge, right? So you're having that big impact. <laughs> it will, yeah, no, totally will. And then um, you're you you talked about Facebook ads, so you're you're running those as well. 
what else are you doing as far in 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 um in your marketing uh to really get your your name out well first i want to point out like i know that this podcast is just business as a whole but one of the key things and i'm doing it through street text but the retargeting has been huge because i i mean you asked me what a pixel is i really still have no clue i think it's set up i don't know i'm sure it is but um the retargeting I figured I would try and, you know, I'm running an ad for like a dollar a day and I've run several different ads. So people see different things as they find me on the internet. But what I have noticed from that is a lot of your cold leads or leads you've had for a long time, you know, uh, maybe your email campaigns done and they're not really engaging with you. What I have found is like when I looked at the numbers for just this last month with my Facebook ads, it's amazing because 15 of my like 50, you know, leads that I brought in were generated from old leads that had been just dormant inside of my KB core. But now that I can see that the retargeting is very, very important and it's not very expensive. So that's something else that I make sure that I do. And that is something I'm seeing results in. People will call and say, you know, sorry, I haven't gotten back to you or you know, I'm glad you reached out. Um, but that is a game changer. And so that is something I would recommend to everyone is doing the retargeting ads as well. And, you know, incorporating that into your business. That's huge. Yeah. So the um, so it, it, retargeting is obviously like really important in any kind of marketing. It's just making sure like when a lot of times we do the hard work, which is the beginning, whether it's the door knocking or the, you know, we put a lot of effort into creating or starting the opportunity. Yes. Um, but that person who is going to buy or sell or or do any kind of deal, you know, whatever it is that they're looking to, again, they're, they're still there, even if they didn't, um, you know, they weren't ready, like right away. And yep. a lot of times. Touch is minimum. That's yeah. what they say. Touch is minimum on someone who is going to convert or at least be engaged to like set up the next step. It takes seven touches. A hundred percent. And um, yeah, so, so it really is, it is really, really important. And then now you've um, you've created a course and it's funny because on the mastermind that came up quite a few times, uh, the fact that you've, you've created this course and uh, and you're sort of teaching other agents how you do what you do. Uh, before we like jump into that, what I would love to know is, you know, where does that um, teaching component come from? Is that because you were a teacher previously, or was it something that you had before that? Like, did you always like have you always taught people? Were you that kid in class who was like, come here, come here, I'll show you how to how to do this? Um, it's yeah, it's always been my personality. Like I. I enjoy that process of figuring something out and then being able to kind of share it with other people. And um, yeah, I think that's more of an innate thing. However, if you're not that personality, it is something that can be developed. And it's just like what makes me uncomfortable, like the door knocking, you know, some people think and they've come to me, I'm, I'm shy. I'm a shy agent. Like I'm more introverted. And it's like, that's okay this is something that you're going to develop and you start off small. And that's why it's important to really have that knowledge base I'm telling you that's the most important thing. And so for new agents out there, don't think, Oh, well, I haven't done it. I don't have the, you know, knowledge base. No, no, no. You go through your firm and you do your trainings, you partner up with an agent. Maybe you could tag team with them as they do things, but 
feeling confident in what you're saying allows you the ability to be able to teach it to someone else, whether it's one-on-one or in a group. But um, for me, I, I think that's just who I am. That I just feel comfortable with that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, in your market, so you're in you're in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, you've been talking a little bit. The market shifted. You've been through a couple shifts now. So obviously, 2020 was a big shift. Um, I'd love to know how did you navigate that um, mentally, and I cried. Like, no, I, I, <laughs> I cried a lot. No, um, you know. Don't get too big for your britches, right? That's what they say. Don't get too big for your britches. It was very humbling because um, 2018, the market was great. It was strong. And so I had a good opportunity coming into it. And then 2020 hit and, you know, this COVID virus, uh, it's amazing because it actually made the housing market go wild. I mean, it was like crazy. I couldn't get off the phone. Things were selling for a million dollars over ask. You know, it was just a crazy market. And then hit 2022, like a ton of bricks. And so I, I just had to stop and reflect. I continued doing what I was doing and I was thinking, okay, what is going on? So something that I like to do is, you know, first of all, you talk to others. So my attorneys, my closing office, you know, I was speaking to them one day and I said, listen, let me ask you, has the closing slowed down? So I wanted to see, is it me? Is it a we problem or a me problem? Right. And they said, no, the the market has slowed down. Like, you know, we're not as busy. I spoke to my lenders and got the same message. And actually that made me feel better, right? Because if it's a me problem, now I have to kind of evaluate, okay, what am I doing? And then I would approach it a different way. Knowing that it was a we problem, I thought, okay, well, people are still buying. And so there, therein lies the research, right? Where are people coming from to get to North Carolina? So then I would start advertising in those states that, There is a chart. If you look it up, I don't remember the name of it, but if you go to Google and you type in state-by-state migration chart, it is so cool. So you have the states, you click on your state, and it gives you valuable information. It tells you the five top states and cities that move into your state and the five places where people from our state moves out to. So very, very good information to know because now you can diversify your reach. So I started to do that and it was, it was very refreshing because, you know, that's why agents, agents, I think a lot of them have spending issues. I'm just saying that as a whole, I've seen it. You get some commission checks, you spend, 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 and then comes a shift in market. And now you're in a a crisis. Now you're looking to pick up part-time jobs, which really take away from your real estate. And so it's this whole endless cycle. So I think that people need to learn more about their finances and saving, 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 because thank goodness, because in 2022, it hit me like a ton of bricks. That business was slower, almost in half from what I had done the year previous. Now, I had a really healthy year, but you get used to living a certain way or spending a certain way. So that really helped me is having that savings and that chunk, but it allowed me the time to take a breath and say, you know what, if I don't sell a house in the next two months, it's okay. It's okay. I have my reserves. Now I'm going to invest it in my learning, figuring out what is happening, where can I get business from? 
and it allowed me that space. So, I mean, that to me is the hugest lesson. Um, this year did start off slow, but now it's picking up. But some other important shift happened in my market. And also, this is, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but Wendy and Linnea, uh, Linnea from Street Text, you know, we've been friends now for years. And they reached out to me, actually, about some agent friend that they had that they thought had a client looking in North Carolina. Wonderful referral, right? And that's part of, you know, what is so wonderful, I think, about my firm and also Street Text is like, that ability to communicate and, and diversify and get referrals from other agents. And they passed me off um, a referral. Um, and it was a gentleman buying a house two hours away from me. Now, I could have turned him down. But they said, you know, listen, you know, he's a great client, has repeat business. He's a real estate developer. He does a lot of different things. So did that, got it under contract, you know, thanked all of them for the introductions. And that was wonderful. But now he is looking at homes and the price point is very high. It's definitely a, a luxury price point. And so we're looking at beach property. So what I've noticed is that my sales, while they have slowed down, I have my team of 10. So, you know, um, the model that that is from my coaching and the branding and everything else, you know, I'm seeing some rewards from that. Um, and my business has slowed down, but my price point has increased. So now, the price point on those five homes are anywhere between 800000 and $2 million. And that's very different. So while I was running my behind off, you know, in 2020, 2021, 2022, and the price point usually averaged, you know, 300 350 sometimes lower, sometimes higher, right? Um, I would have to do double of what I was doing or triple. But now the way that the price change has gone up, I'm I can do the same amount of profitability while you know while only working on a fourth of the home. So that's really freed me up to take the time to figure out the other ways to kind of do my earnings and kind of scale it that way. So I think that was a really important shift for me this year. Okay, so you've you touched on two things there that I think are really important and worth like diving into more. Uh, it's the what you just touched on, which is really important, which is know what market you're serving. It, are you in a you know a high volume, low um, you know lower transaction value, or are you moving into a um, you know a lower volume, higher transaction value? But then also know the the market itself because you might be serving a high volume, but then the market shifts and it becomes a low volume. Is that really where you want to stay? It, you know, look at look at what the numbers are showing. And what we're seeing across the board is that people who have uh, high equity in their homes, uh, people who are either um, upsizing, downsizing, one of those two angles, those are the people who are moving in the market today because interest rates doesn't affect them. For It's not a problem if, if mortgage rates go up or down because they're buying based on equity or they're um, they're in that position if they're upsizing where they need a bigger home because the family, it's just, it's like a forcing function. And so they're, they're making that decision irregardless. And the, uh, so, so that, uh, th that's a really, really, really good point. I, I mean, if you're listening, I think that's like worth even just taking a look at, you know, that's a question I got asked recently. I was on um, speaking on Chime and somebody asked, Okay, you know, which like what should I be going for the specific niche? 
And I'm like thinking, I'm like, there's so many other questions you need to ask before you jump into that conclusion. You know, don't pigeonhole, like I was thinking with themselves, like don't pigeonhole themselves to a specific market because they feel that's what they can serve based on their credibility. You know, I, you know, look at the market from who can I serve based on what I love to do? And then is, is it like a valuable market? Like is the turnover rate high enough that it's going to build a business out of it? And then the, the second thing that you, you talked about, which is so critical, um, is that your you went into 2022, the market shifted, but you had done all the right things financially to be in a position where you had the stability so that you could make like really good sound decisions and you could focus on the business without like um, without going into that that mode where it's like, you know, I've seen it myself. I, I, I know a really uh, great agent. She was absolutely crushing it. Um, she was she'd never done as uh, as as the size of volume that she did that year. She'd never done it. And she hadn't, she'd done everything you just described. She went on a spending spree, bought a new car, um, was killing it, like going on vacations, loving life. And then the tax man came and she had put zero dollars aside for taxes. Yes. And and instantly she went down a spiral and uh, she's no longer in real estate. And she was a top producing agent. Yeah, it, it is absolutely terrible to see it. And you know, I'm no Gordon Ramsay, but I do like to listen to him. Gordon Ramsay is the finance guy that you can listen to. He does like a talk. Dave Ramsay. Dave Ramsay. What did I say? Oh, Gordon Ramsay. That's the chef. Yeah. I'm hungry. What can I tell you? But anyway, um, <laughs> so, you know, for me, when you're, when I was teaching, I mean, it wasn't even a conversation because I, I never really had a savings. In fact, I'll just share with you just, you know, I, I'm very transparent about things and I don't care about talking about money. You know, never in my life had I had more than a thousand or two thousand in savings when I was teaching. You can't, you have to live on it. I mean, there was no way. And it took me years to build just that. And so real estate's a whole other game because when you do have a closing, you get this chunk, right? And so for me, my my tax advisor said, listen, it'll be less than this, but if you take 33% of whatever you earn every time you get a check and that gets locked away in savings, you don't look at it. So for me, I tried to do 45, 50%. So half of whatever I see, it's like, it's untouchable, right? Now I do touch it. It, it goes in my business though. So when I run ads or when I do have an expense for my team or for, you know, printing out or new business cards, it does come out of that savings. But I have that rock bottom price. I know, okay, well, I need this much saved for taxes. It's like the money is gone. Like you can't even look at it. And then anything else that I get, you know, I try to put that additional like 20% um, also in my savings. And that's just the way it is. So that way it can really help you because I actually heard a similar story and um, I really like him. He was a referral agent I use. He's over at the beach. And so I've sent him business and he was an icon agent, which is beyond even just high production. Like it's to the level where not only do you sell, but you're like a top producer and you can get your commissions back from our company. Um, and so he had a killer year and he had bought this brand new truck and you know, that's it. I mean, he was just doing whatever. But at the beginning of this year, January, he had started calling me 
And he's like, hey, how's business? How's business? And, you know, so I tell him what I'm noticing, what I'm seeing. But he was like depressed, devastated that he came from this high of the high and then kind of outsourced himself. And now he didn't know what to do. And when that happens, it's not even just that you don't have the money anymore. Your mindset starts to go into overdrive and you're freaked out. And you get that commission breath. It doesn't matter who you talk to, what you say. There is an urgency that doesn't feel good. It feels negative and people can see it. And that's why I said like that example I told you, even when I'm stressed and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening in the transaction. All you can do is take a breath and figure out, okay, what are the options? And when you kind of release yourself from that stress and realize this is an outside source This is what's going on. Like you can't control when the market's slow. You cannot. So rather than getting all worked up or blaming, right? This is what I've heard a lot too. It's like there are certain people who it's always something else's fault. It's always, there's no accountability for this is the way it is. What am I going to do to do different? Not saying, well, this isn't working and this isn't working. And I think you and I talk like, you know, I was having difficulty with my Facebook ads and, um, you know, it, it was nobody's fault. And you took the time to kind of like help me tweak one thing. And then I was like, oh, here it is. Like I started to get impatient. Right. And you were you said to me, you're turning off the ads too quick. Like you're you're starting too many and it can't keep up with what you're doing. And it's because I started to get that mindset. Right. Oh, it's not working. I'm going to try this, this and this and this. When I just should have, just like I do in every other aspect of my business, take a breath, relax, and let things kind of ride. Ask people for resources. But, you know, I I think everything goes back to mindset. Honestly, I think your success, your failures, I think everything goes back to to mindset of how you handle it. Because there's always going to be stuff that happens or interferes or you know, visits to God forbid the emergency room. This month, I I tell my mom, it's like, we've been to the emergency room and hospital like so many times for her and my aunt. I'm like, what is going on? And you know, it kind of alters what your plan is and your work. But that's what's nice about real estate. You can work from anywhere. And it's just about adapting and taking ownership that sometimes you can't do anything about it. But the only thing you can do is have a better attitude about it because it's going to generally affect everything. Like you, you receive what you put out. And so that commission breath is real. Like when you start really feeling that pressure, other people feel it too, like innately. Yes. A hundred percent. Like the most important thing to do in that moment is take a step back. Yeah. Find a way, whatever that strategy is for, for you to, to decompress right, and put yourself in a state of mind where it is coming from a place of service and giving yeah. regardless of the outcome. And then the outcome happens. The um, two books have changed my life, mm-hmm. uh, did change my life. Um, but one of the um, uh, the things on the Facebook ad side that you were talking about, which is I've seen a lot as well, yeah. is people sometimes start to, when they get into that, that um, where they're turning ads on and off or they're, they're not sure what's working or why it's not working. Yes. They'll start to think to themselves, is Facebook punishing me? It's like, no, no, no. Facebook loves it when you spend money. Like, in fact, Zuckerberg's number one priority right now in 2023 is to make ads sing. That's exactly what he wants. He wants everybody's ad account to be performing incredibly well. That's he's he's made that he's put that on on the banner. That's his number one priority. 
Um, and so then the reality is, is like, we got to remove that from the, the equation. And we say, okay, what are the basic things I can do that will ensure that I'm doing the best practices to get those ads performing? And then it becomes, because otherwise it's the exact same thing in the financial situation as if a person is in a state where they're, they're feeling that urgency, yes. then their mind isn't in this place where they're just thinking, okay, this is actually just a simple matter of taking a few steps yeah. and my life will be back on track. So what are those two or three things to do? As an example, um, you know, if you're growing your business and uh, you're you're running a funnel, you could just look at that funnel and be like, okay, let's just see, okay, how much traffic am I getting? Is the traffic converting into a contact? If they're converting into a contact, what's the message I'm sending? Is the message getting an engagement? Do I make a tweak on that message? If I'm getting the first response, is the response coming on the first, second, third, fourth response? Oh, it's coming on the fourth response. Great. Now that I know that, I'll just make sure everybody's getting to that fourth response. And then I have a system in place to follow up after. Like it's once people go through that journey, all of a sudden business becomes really, really simple and easy and, and, and steady. But those two books that really changed my life. And I think this is the key is that uh, the first book I read, I, for, I forget the title of the first book. I wish I could remember it, but it really changed my life. It, it was uh, this guy and he, he goes through this perspective of um, exactly what you were describing, where he went through life um, blaming his situation. Yeah. And he has, a, he has a very powerful story where he talks about his brother and his brother was actually on the ledge of um, of uh, suicide. And uh, fortunately, he was able to uh, see his brother get off that ledge and uh, move forward. But it was it came down, it was rooted down into this perspective that he was carrying, yeah. which was he was interpreting everything through a specific set of filters. And so if somebody offended him, he assumed he knew their motivation for why they were doing what they were doing. Right. But the reality is, as you learned afterwards, is he had no idea what their motivation was. And he gave a simple example. Like some people are really like social extroverts. And so they'll go over and they'll hug somebody. And someone else might be a non-social, introverted, you know, formal person. And that non-social, introverted, formal person looks at the person who's hugging them and they're like, oh, they're clearly flirting. They're clearly, uh -huh. you know, they're they're putting themselves out there. When in the reality is, is that if you actually knew the motivation of that individual, you'd see that's completely the opposite. They're just being friendly. And so um, the key is that, that that book, and then the second book that I read uh, about three years ago today was called Extreme Ownership by Jocko. Have you read that book? No, it's, but it's I will. A good, I'm writing a, it down. Yeah, it's a good one. And and he uh, he shares in the, this whole perspective of um, what he calls extreme ownership, which is he went through a situation where in Iraq, I believe they had blue on blue, which basically meant they had U.S. soldiers um, or Air Force accidentally um, shooting uh, U.S. soldiers. And that is like the worst case scenario. You go to martial court, someone's getting locked up for that. And um, it you just that's you never want that to happen. It's it's a tragedy. A war is a tragedy. That's a bigger tragedy. Um, and so he's going through this journey and, um, he's put into the task of figuring out what happened, how did this happen? And he goes through the interview process and at the end of it, he gets court-martialed and he, or he's, he's standing in the, in the, you know, um, in the courtroom and it's like, was it this person's fault? And he's, and he's like, no, it wasn't their fault. And was it this person's fault? And he's like, no, it wasn't their fault. Was it this person's fault? No, it wasn't their fault. And then he says, 
you know what? It was my fault. And he took 100% of the responsibility because he realized in that moment, the reason he couldn't pin the blame on anybody was because he was the only person to have the blame on him because he was in a position where he could actually do something about it. And, and so the key there is that when we move from a position of blaming to a position where we take responsibility, it's not to say that we were not the victim. It's not to say that the thing that happened wasn't bad. It was not to say to discredit the, the circumstance. What it is is to empower yourself so that you can make a change and ensure that that same scenario doesn't ever happen again. Um, and it's, it's a very powerful like frame of thinking of things. And it puts you in a proactive state. And I've, I've taken it to the extreme now. So I'm like, if I catch myself, you know, even like the tiniest little blame, I'm like, oh, got to stop that. You know, like it's, it's not them. It's, I have a, I have a tons I can do about that. Oh yeah. And I think we all are guilty of that, but um, you're right. Like, that's why it's so good. A good book is so good. I mean, just any, anything to get your hands on. I love, but um it is hard because people see it from their own perspective based on how you're raised, your environment. And so it's nice to learn other ways to approach things because there are healthier ways. And, um, you know, part of what pushed me is I've, I've suffered from anxiety since I was 18 and I really don't like, uh, medication. I just don't. So as an adult, um, you know, I was really struggling, panic attacks, and it was driving me crazy. I could never relax. Um, I actually went to the doctor because I thought I had TMJ. Like, um, I felt like I was, my jaws were sore. And I realized one day driving in the car, um, my hands were gripped on the steering wheel and I could feel myself clenching. And I thought, oh no, this is like anxiety. It's not TMJ, it's anxiety. And so I talked to my doctor about it. And they said, listen, you need to go on something temporarily, right? Get a reset. But what I realized is that a lot of my perspective and how I internalize things was making me feel unhealthy. And now I'm 41 now. And when you're 41, everything starts to break. No, I'm just kidding. But but I realized <laughs> that having the stress that my whole life I've had, right? I've always been, you know, high stress, high anxiety kind of person. Um, but what I realized is physically, my body can't handle it anymore. I, I experience physical symptoms now from my stress. And so that whole perspective, like I was saying, I mean, the house could be raining that I'm standing in. Okay. You know, you take a deep breath. There's a way to fix anything, right? Um, there's solutions for everything. And getting yourself worked up and stressed, not only is it not good for you, but it never changes anything. You could worry about something every single day, but the truth of the matter is it's it's not going to change what happens. So um, that's the biggest message I could give in business. When I look at people who I admire in business at any level, beginner, expert, you know, national celebrity, it doesn't matter. What I find with all of them is the mindset, the positivity. Um very hard for me to think about people who are very high stress and have a lot of issues that way that I've seen that are examples of who I'm looking to be. But it, it does take time. And it's, it's very hard. But you know, people need to get out of their own bubble with how they feel and think and start researching, start learning how to approach it a different way, because there are options. And when you feel more relaxed, 
it's like your whole org. Like, let me just talk about woo-woo stuff, but your whole spirit is different and people can sense it. People sense, you know, when people are, are happy or when they're, you know, relaxed and peaceful and it does make a huge difference. Um, and not to totally change subjects, but we were talking about other things I do besides the ads and, you know, the door knocking and the retargeting. Um, something else that I think is very important is agents need to be doing agent previews. When I'm not busy, you would never know it on social media. Whenever that happens, I tell this to all my agents. I'm like, first of all, agents love feedback from other agents. You should at least once or twice a week, depending. Now, if you're busy, no need, right? But when you have a slow week, because we all do, doesn't matter how profitable you are, people have slow days or slow weeks. So what you do is when you're having a slow day, go find a place, a, a home available that's near your home, schedule a showing, set it as an agent preview, go and tour the home, go do a live video, go take some pictures, make some social media posts that will last a week or two weeks just from that one house. Like, you know, even, and your people are like, well, what kind of posts do you make? Well, you know, you can take a picture of some of the features in the house, post it online and say, how much do you think this home is worth in North Raleigh or whatever your area is? People love to chime in on that. And then you can say, okay, I'll PM you the answer. I'll tell you how much it's listed for. Um, because People just like to be engaged. But for me, that's another huge one. Every agent, busy, profitable, you know, just beginning, do an agent preview. Those are homes available to you to do social media, to get experience, exposure, try to bring a buyer. So I would absolutely do it. The key, I mean, yes, there's so many strategies available. Like there's never a yeah. moment when when we need to just like... Um, where we don't have work, so to speak. I remember something you shared with me a long time ago, and I thought it was so cool, is that you're like, I got into real estate to build a business, so I treat it as a business. So I treat myself like I'm working in a full-time business. And so you said you you time block and you scheduled and you... Um, maybe Activity you could, block. I don't time block. Yeah, activity block. Yeah, so so maybe share yeah. a little bit about that, like like what, like that mindset and, and, and then how you activity block. Yeah. So, um, time blocking was always so rigid for me. Like I'm organized about some things, but honestly, like my, my husband's OCD and organized, right? I'm not like that. I'm kind of like go with the wind, like whatever is it's going to be. So what I tried to figure out in my business is I wrote down a list. Okay. The successful agents that I look up to, what are some of the standard trends and activities that each of them does to be successful, right? So obviously, all agents are lead prospecting, right? Um, and you can prospect in a number of different ways, um, whether it's in person, at events, online. I mean, there's a, a variety of ways. Um, learning, right? Learning is a huge part of what we do. We're either in our continuing education classes, we're attending masterminds, we're watching podcasts, we're watching YouTube videos on how to do real estate. All of that is learning. So every agent that's successful does that as well. And then social media, right? I mean, most agents, I'd say 99% who are successful now are having success because they're somewhere on social media, whether that's Nextdoor or LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever it is. So 
I took all these different activities that successful agents do, and I divided it up into time. How much time needs to be allotted every week to like be successful? And so then what I do is rather than time block where I say from nine to 11, I'm prospecting and 12 to this time, I'm going to be doing social media. I didn't like that because inevitably I felt like a failure because what would happen is you'd have a kid call you from school sick, right? Your son or your daughter would be sick from school. Well, now your day is thrown because the time blocking is off or, you know, something would come up because life happens. And I didn't want life to not happen because from this time to this time, I'm supposed to be doing something. So what I did instead was I took these key activities, the social media, the lead prospecting, the lead follow up, the, the communicating with my past clients, my education, and I started to decide, OK, I'm going to spend like this much time per week prospecting for new business. I'm going to spend this much time every day following up with leads that I brought into my KB core. You know, um, I'm going to spend this much time every week writing some sort of thank you or giving a call to a past client. Right. Um, and I activity block. So what happens is if something happens, I have a dentist appointment or I have to run to the grocery store because I forgot something that activity is then shifted. It never disappears. It goes from that nine to 11 spot that I had for lead follow-up and maybe I'll do it between three and five. So I just slot it into different parts, but that, that does not disappear. And when you time block, it's like that disappears. You didn't do it. You're already behind. And for me, again, mindset, right? The mindset made me feel negative. Like, okay, I've already failed for the day. Um, so the activity blocking has been really good for someone like me, because um, what if you get called for an appointment? Well, appointment is lead follow up, right? So it could go into your lead follow up block. But if you're supposed to be doing social media between 12 and 1.30 when you are showing this house, well, now that's okay. I'll just do it at, you know, seven to eight, or maybe when I'm sitting on the couch and everybody's quieted down and I have some private time, but it never disappears. Like I can do that every day and feel optimistic and positive that I'm still meeting my goals, but my life is flexible and I can go hop in the car and go to the beach. You know, I, I can do these things and not feel like I'm not able to without losing out on some of that momentum. That is, that's really awesome. That's really, uh, it's such a smart uh, system. So one of the challenges I have even with activity blocking, the way you communicate it, is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that'll come up in a day. And sometimes there's these uh, meetings that that just need to happen that weren't scheduled yes. and they they show up. And all of a sudden I'm left at the end of the day and I've got three hours of activity blocking that has still has to happen. And okay. you're just looking and you're like, okay, well, I've got an hour really like realistically available of time here. How do you do you like, what do you do in that circumstance? Do you prioritize something or like, yeah, how, how do you handle that? No, I, um, well, what I do, the biggest thing I've done is when I activity block, like honestly for me, but only because I geek out of it, I'd say I, I work like 10 hours a day. Um, now I'm lucky that I can work out of my home office, which is gone now because of renovations. But, um, so what I do is if your work day, let's just pretend is eight hours. I only activity block for five hours of that. Why? 
because you may get delayed. You may have a meeting. There's other things you need to do. But if you're good with your time and you're doing that five hour block, that's all you need. And that allows you to have those big gaps where you can't make up the time. No problem. So if you're working a 40 hour work week in real estate, only schedule 30 hours of it with different types of activities that you want to do, right? Because closings and showing homes or, you know, meeting with an actual client trumps everything. It just does. Um, but you're allowing yourself enough hours in the day that are unaccounted for where you can shift things around and it does give you that freedom. So if you have, you know, an eight hour workday, do not time schedule or activity block eight hours of it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that makes that makes tons of sense. Uh, Jennifer, I'm really enjoying this this episode. This has been really, really good. Uh, so really uh, second to last question is so as you as you building as you're building this business, <clears throat> you talked a little bit about it. Uh, I mean, we kind of touched on like the financial uh, security, really creating a sense of financial freedom, which allows a person to make better financial or business decisions. Uh, when you go about building a profitable business, uh, how do you how do you look at your marketing spend or other investments that you may be making? Whether it's like, okay, this is how much money I'm going to market for this listing. How do you how do you take expenses into your business and think about it in a way as you're growing a profitable business? Yeah, and again, see, there's there's people that are much more organized with this than I am. But the way that I look at it as far as paid marketing and what I do is how many homes would it take me to sell to recoup that that cost, right? And so that becomes more of the conversation. Like if we're talking about like ad spend on Facebook and utilizing like a street text platform, well, I know that, you know, as I've gotten more profitable and, you know, um, been in the business longer. I know that my ad spend has kind of doubled just because I'm I'm able to. And even with that double ad spend, so if I'm spending $10 a day and I'm running two ads a day, um, you know, I know that that's $600 right there. Um, and then I look at all the ad spend related to that and I realize, okay, one home would pay for that expenditure times 10. So it allows me at minimum, to pay for 10 months of that same marketing strategy. So that's just kind of what I look like. How much are you outputting versus how much are you getting in? So I kind of look at a general on a year-to-year basis. How many closings am I getting from street text, right? And then I'll look, okay, if I'm doing postcards and I'm mailing it to my farm, what's the turnaround on that? And like, how long does it take me to recoup that cost? And for me, I want it to not only recoup the cost, but to reward me. So that way at the end of the year, my, all of my expenditures is covered by closing. So I kind of look at it in that sense, but I need to get better at that. But the way things have been busy, I kind of keep a track of that and make sure that, that all of that's being recouped by, um, by, you know, my closings and things like that. However, I need to put it into a spreadsheet and that has been the trouble. So like right now I, I went into QuickTime I'm trying to develop like a spreadsheet where I can kind of have this out more organized because right now I just have it where it's under marketing expense, right? And so I need to kind of go through and divide it out and see exactly 
what I'm doing. But I, I do know that my closings are covering it. But I'm very, very conservative with that. And I know there's a lot more agents that are a lot more aggressive with their marketing. Um, I'm not there yet. So for me, it's like I, I do it slowly. If I'm not able to, you know, totally cover that cost with closings, I don't do it. I don't do it. That makes a lot of sense. So you're giving yourself a uh, a time frame that you're looking at. It's in this case, 10 months, maybe a year, but no longer. And you're saying, okay, how much am I going to recoup within this year's investment? And like, basically like worst case scenario, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking even is, is essentially what you're, what you're saying. No, I, I don't break even. That's not the model I like. So, so for me, I kind of wrote it down actually, cause I didn't know what direction we would go with, with the podcast, but I kind of wrote it out. So in 2018, I had half a year as my very first year in real estate and I did 14 sales, right? In 2019, I sold 24 homes. In 2020 and 21, I sold 31 homes each of those years. Um, 2022, 27. And so far this year, I've done six because it's been slower, but the price points are different. So what I look at is, let's just go to last year. I sold 27 units last year. After all of my marketing expenses, that could be postcards, it could be business cards, it could be Facebook ads. I lump it all together. Um, I added it all up and I think it came to two closings, right? I think it was like $20,000 spend. And so I look, okay, well, it took two closings to cover all those expenses. But after that, there was 25 additional sales. And here was what I did. So no, it's not about breaking even. It's about far exceeding. So for those people who are doing, let's just say they're selling six homes a year, right? Um, and it's not yet profitable. Well, if you're doing six homes a year, whatever your expenses are, you don't want to output more than one sale, right? So if your average closing sale is about, let's between eight to 10,000, you're, you're not spending more than that your first year. You're working smarter. And there are ways you have to do the paid advertising. I do believe that. But there's other options to do things for free. You have next door, you have door knocking, you have events, you have open houses, you have networking events. All of those are free. So when you start, you're relying a lot on those free lead sources paired with some very targeted paid advertisements. And that's it. So then as you double and you're selling 12, well, maybe I would still do one closing. But as you get onto it, like now, if I'm selling 30 units a year, at this point, I'd say that I would spend, you know, four or five closings. So if that's like 40, 50,000, well, it's still well within the range of all the other closings that I have that are covering it. So to me, that's how I do it. And I could be more specific with it. But you know, my brain doesn't work like that yet. So it's just about growing. But to me, I kind of look at it overall. And I'm like, okay, you know, th this is manageable. If, if you're only closing three homes a year, because for whatever reason, it's part time, you're brand new, well, then you're not going to want to spend more than one of your closings, whether that's, you know, 8,000, 10,000, that's it. That's your paid budget. And you're going to do a lot with it to nurture those folks in a, a way that's free after that with phone calls, with door knocking with, you know, um, so that's just the way I look at the business as a whole. It's more of an overview. Um, and as I get better at, at the craft, I'm going to narrow in on it, but that's a skill set that I'm still learning to be honest. That, um, 
That makes a ton of sense. So, so what you're saying then is you're not looking at, okay, over a 10 month period, I want to do one listing. You're saying no, over that, that 10 month period, this is how much money I've allocated towards my marketing that I feel is going to make a big impact. And it's only going to take, uh, in, in your case, um, 3% of my, um, my revenue that I'm generating to market. That's very little, like 3.33% or whatever it is, it turns out to be. Um, and so that's, um, that's a very different, um, that's a different approach, different mindset. It's sort of like the, uh, so then that kind of my follow-up to that question is, so then when you're investing, especially when you were first starting, how did you, uh, how did you start marketing? Um, did you have money set aside for it or did you, uh, did you invest in marketing in order to, uh, like sort of like the, the debt first approach, or did you do the, I saved and, and had money set aside and grew from that approach, like the Dave Ramsey versus the, uh, finance and credit card approach. You know, I think it depends on where you are. For me, um, I told you, I mean, we didn't have more than a thousand, two thousand ever in savings because I was coming from teaching. Um, so what I did was when I started, my husband was very supportive, which is it is very helpful. Not everyone's spouses is supportive and you know, it's more difficult. But he said, Listen, um, you know, we have that thousand dollars saved up. He said that, you know, use it. That's that's yours. And so um I used it for my marketing and I was lucky to get a sale um, from it. And immediately what I did was I replenished what I had taken with a little bit more, right? And then I built from it. So I did it, I did it that approach, you know? So, um, however, if I didn't have the thousand dollars, it depends on your credit, right? Because now I've realized my credit score was very low and I couldn't figure out why I always paid my bills, but I had no lines of credit. So over the last um, three, four years, I started getting credit cards. And I'm thinking, why am I getting credit cards? Isn't that bad? And um, started getting credit cards with, you know, run it so that it's like $200 that I owe. And then what I would do is I'd make one payment, make another payment, then pay it off, right? But I never closed the accounts. And so now my credit is very, very high. And um so what I would recommend is if if you kind of have the money where you could spend it, but you're still running really short, don't hesitate. If, if you want to get a credit card, you pick one that has a low interest rate. And I wouldn't put a, an exorbitant amount. I put it so that you can have that freedom in the month to kind of breathe. Um, but then you make a few payments and then you pay it off and you leave that card open. So I don't think one's better than the other. I think it depends on your own financial situation and also where your credit is. If you have, you know, um, bad credit, I still think it'd be a great option because if you get those paid off, but you have to be able to pay it off. So I don't believe in just open debt um, that just lasts and you're paying all that exorbitant amount. I think you only use a credit card for what you can pay off after a few months. Right. And so um, I think that's very important. But again, I'm not Dave Ramsey. So <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, well, you know, maybe his radio show will be open soon and uh, Jennifer Salter will be stepping in um, the uh, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. The my my approach um, 
maybe this is a Canadian approach, I'm not sure, has always been more on the fiscally conservative side. So uh, I'm probably very similar to you in the sense that I'm personally not going to use my credit card to buy something if I know that I can't pay it off immediately. Uh, I just, uh, I don't want to do that because I just feel like it's, um, yeah, I, I just wouldn't want to put myself in a position because I know the compounding interest rate works so well in your favor when you're investing. And it works horribly when it's uh, a counter. So uh, yes, because $4,000 can quickly become $12,000 in a year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, but a lot of those credit cards now, they offer the uh, 0% interest for the first year or for the first three months. Yeah. Those are the ones you want to get. Like, get it so you know you're going to pay it off, but that you're not paying all that interest because yeah, at that point, it's not helping you. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So- Last question, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who've been listening to this who are thinking, oh, this is this is really helpful. Uh, what would you, um, what would you want to leave the? If you have one last thing to say, like, what would you want to leave the listener with? Nothing like putting someone on the spot. <laughs> um, I'll say the same thing, and if you have purchased my courses or heard me before. I've said this over and over again, but it was the most powerful thing that I ever heard. And I think it applies very well. So um, when you're green, you grow. And when you're ripe, you rot. And what I like to say is basically, when you are learning, okay, and you continue to learn, that's how you flourish and grow. But when you stop all that learning process, you basically become rot, uh, you know, ripe and you rot. So um, I think that's the biggest thing is, is continue to better yourself, whether it be from different courses, from great literature like uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko. I'm going to definitely read that. Um, I think that that's the key to being successful in business is to realize that learning and growing doesn't come just from yourself. You need good role models. You need to see other people and their thoughts. You need to try new things. And that is the way it is for any business, even in education, right? That was one thing that was constantly changing. Our curriculums constantly change because there's always different approaches, different ways, different strategies, and doing the same thing forever. You may be very successful for several years doing the same thing, but continuing to do the, the same thing, you're not going to get the same results. You have to change because everything around you is constantly changing. Oh, I love it. That, uh sound advice especially for this time but really it's it's true no matter where you are when you are i think that's gonna that's yeah very very wise uh very wise advice so jennifer thank you so much i've really enjoyed this thank you this has been this has been a lot of fun yeah i had fun too let's go